Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this episode. BQE Core is the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Learn more at bqe.com. All right, so you know that um, Isuzu that we were following on Cars and Bids? Yeah, carsandbids.com, a vehicle yeah. auction site, and they had a, what, was it a 99? So it was a 99 Isuzu Via Cross. Uh, Which everybody, we, if you haven't seen a Via Cross, you need to look it up right now. It's one word, V-E-H-I-C-R-O-S-S. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, make it easy for you. But it's an odd it's an odd duck. Corbin. It's an odd duck. It is. It is definitely an odd duck. <laughs> and I was, you know, and I was thinking about that. And, and you and I were kind of talking about like the unique styling. Um, and unique is a is a special way. And I think even in Motor Trend had called it like like the unique styling of the year. Look at and me, stuff. Gen X styling. Ah, uh, look at me, Gen X styling. Which this is, is on a, their you know, Wikipedia page. I, I'm just reading. Motor Trend reports it gets thumbs up for. Look at me, Gen X. Like I didn't even know that was a category. That's pretty hilarious. It 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 is. I mean, you know, in unique styling or or look at me is potentially code word for man, that's ugly. Yeah, it is. But and it was I, I usually attribute it to specific colors of automobiles, right? Which is it's not look at me styling, but it's it's look at me because I bought the highlighter yellow Corvette. Mm, yeah. That's yeah. how I, I I see people driving around in those. I saw one of those um you know bright orange Ford the new Ford Bronco last night, and uh, it's definitely a look at me color, right? <laughs> well, it's definitely a look at me, you know. And it's it's interesting though because let's be honest with you, the people that I see buying it are the look at me Gen Xers <laughs> yeah, who right. they still you know, have a mullet, who, yeah, who bought? <laughs> oh, wow, let's still have a mullet. Um, (laughs) never went out of style for some people but i mean it was the same people who bought this who bought weirdly bought the pontiac aztec vehicle but it was this you know these this interesting kind of like styling decision that was prevalent like you know we were we were adventurous we were we being you know gen xers we were adventurous we were creative in our styling it wasn't always a hit a lot of times it was a miss. Well, at least they tried. <laughs> but I was thinking but I was thinking about this when we were talking about this and I was thinking about how so now we have kids and those kids are actually becoming grown-ups and starting to influence design or influencing like the style of their time period. And because we've noticed that a lot of things what comes around goes around kind of you know, philosophy, hmm. they are picking up on, and this goes back to like what we were talking about with kids and music and, and the, the Gen Z, the Gen Z are our children, right? You know, they're, they're the age of our children. I mean, I have a 21 year old, I have a 19 year old and, you know, there are other people who've got like 26 year olds and, and 28 year olds and, and however else, but they're all part of the, gen, you know, the Gen X crowd. And their design, their design sensibilities. They're millennials. They're not Gen Xers. They will take issue. <laughs> well, but don't forget but I mean, millennials in between Gen Z and Gen X. 
They're the Gen Ys. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I think millennials go. They're like uh, up to like age thirty-five, forty. Their forties probably like so on the, the cusp. Where's the cutoff? Yeah, something like that. Well, but I mean, anyway. anyway so sorry to dis- disrail you. I, I just don't. I'm just saving you from getting the the, the hate twit tweets. Nah, That's like I read them. You're welcome. I, I, I've I've noticed this interestingly enough that my Twitter engagement has has plummeted so much over the course of the last year that. I think I have to force myself like on a, I don't know. And this isn't probably good to like, you know, admit this out loud that I don't really engage with social media anymore unless it's pretty pictures on it's Instagram. It's better for you as far as like your mental health. So yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. judgment. I mean, well, I mean, I think my mental health in the past year of just working on this, this project that's, you know, <laughs> led. Well, it's suffering in other ways. You've, you've just, found new ways to suffer that's all yeah so anyway <laughs> so back to the via cross yes. but but if you think about it like the 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 styling uniqueness of like say the via cross and the styling uniqueness of say the brand new ford bronco you can see there's like this adventurous trend to like try something new and different and it's not necessarily a looker but it is unique and it is different and it is kind of adventurous and, and crazy. And, and I was just, I was thinking that, you know, there's, there's this interesting comparison to the designers of our, you know, like say the car designers of our era that were trying to cater to us as similarly used as say our children are. And so our design sensibilities, much like when we were talking about the music sensibilities, because I know that, like, it, it, I'm sitting there listening to my daughter's playlist, and my daughter's playlist is the same, is essentially the same playlist that I used to listen to when I was her her age, or well, maybe not her age, but later on in like my you know early twenties and stuff was the playlist that she's now listening to when she wears like you know Red Hot Chili Peppers shirt, and some people say, name name three songs. You just you bought know, that shirt, Hot Topic. You're not a real yeah. fan, <laughs> and and she literally can like. She can name like the entire band. She can name who was in the band, who wasn't in the band, you know, when they were, what album, you know, had all of these things on it. I'm, I'm looking at her like, I don't even know any of this she, stuff. She's the encyclopedia. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't even know any of this stuff. But but I, I think I'm getting to a point here of, uh, of this point, of this point of like the design sensibilities of like back then are very similar to the design sensibilities now, whether it's in cars, whether it's in buildings and things like that. You know I mean? Think about like in architecture, we were trying to do adventurous things with deconstructivism and, in you know, like this, this kind of like nouveau modern, you know, kind of like trend that now there are, you know, very similar, like adventurous spirits in design now in both cars and in architecture that, almost very hearkened to this influence of the parents. I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I well, mean, it I'm just, trying to think of examples that that's all. I'm like, that's where my mind is, is racing to. And I don't, I don't cruise arc daily every day or anything like that. So I can't speak to the architecture side of that. I, I, I can't talk about it because I'm going to give out spoilers and, and all of this other stuff. But anyway, I just recently went with uh, my daughter to go and see uh, Dr. Strange. 
and you know the new Doctor Strange that just came out on Friday. We saw it on the early um, release stuff on Thursday, so that we don't get hit with spoilers and everything else. And so <laughs> we, and and so what was amazing about it is is that as they're going through certain scenes and things like that, there was one scene that they had landed on, and it was this alternate universe i think everybody at least isn't that like the whole point of the movie yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i think everybody understands that you know there's multiverses and they're going to go to an alternate universe and stuff but the architecture of that alternate universe very much displays a lot of the aspirations of the adventurous architecture that we see in arc daily the greenification of architecture if, if that's now a word that i'm going to use okay <laughs> <laughs> um, but i mean it was just it, it just really kind of like showed that there's like still this adventurous spirit. It's a unique experience, you know, um, spirit. It is, uh, you look at it in the mainstream. And, and so like going back to the via cross and the mainstream was just like, huh? So that's what they think, you know, the future of, you know, the vehicles <laughs> not, are going to be not for mainstream consumption, right? Not for main. Con- but here's the funny thing about that. You look at that vehicle and we were talking briefly pre-show about you know other vehicles like the pontiac aztec that were honestly ahead of their time they were ugly not not in their design but in their ideas yeah in their ideas and in in the via cross like now that's all we have out there right we have these these sport utility vehicles that are shaped sport utility vehicles right? pill <laughs> shaped sport utility vehicles that are 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 really trying to like you know stretch blur the boundaries between all of these different types of vehicles it's like you know it's the grocery getter it's the soccer mom it's the you know weekend warrior the overlander yeah exactly you know so it's it's kind of like an everything thing you know, and in a way, you see that one in, vehicle to rule them all. <laughs> and in a way, you see that in the trends of some of like the more avant-garde architecture. You know, you're like, okay, well, here we're trying to solve um, decarbonization. We are trying to solve this deforestation. We are trying to solve, you know, all of the different things: the heat island effect, regenerative. Carbon, uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Reduction in carbon, they or you know, the reduction of discharge of of co2s you know and all these different things that they're trying to do and and so you see these like all wrapped up in this like you know very kind of like weird package of stuff where you look at it and you look at the building you're like huh okay that's where we're going you're like not sure i'm ready for that but okay let's let's strap in and and see where it goes kind of thing it's interesting because you're i think the way you're kind of talking about this is at the conceptual level, I think I think about concept car designs, and I think about how they are glimpses of technology from the future today. And you know, a real concept car is is drivable and everything. And and you can think about like I, I'm particularly envisioning some of the things I've seen from like Mercedes and BMW, where it's like the skin of the car modifies depending on the types of aerodynamics that are necessary. It's an all electric everything and there's there's you know level five autonomous driving so there's no not even a steering wheel so like what else happens when you're driving a car and you start to think about the experience that people would be having so it's not just about the design of the car it's like what about driving is interesting when you're not driving the car right and is it just about entertainment is it just about relaxation is it like it there's 
what's so interesting about driving a car is how you can do it and not even be thinking about it. Right. Like that's, I think that's pretty interesting. Like psychologically, um, you can somehow sometimes drive to work and get to work and not know that you made any conscious decisions to get there. Right. You were kind of on autopilot because you're thinking about other things. And so you start to extrapolate that to, well, what if you don't have to drive? And I think that these are the kinds of things that people who are working on autonomous driving, you know, are working on car designs of, you know, con- conceptual stuff for the future are thinking about, um, and then I think about buildings and every single building that we design, futuristic or not, conceptual or not, is a prototype, right? It's very prototypical in that way. And what's interesting to think about is the buildings that you're talking about are kind of case studies of how buildings in mass should be. And yet, like, that to me seems practically impossible, right? Because we build buildings one at a time we build and I, I get it. Like the, the future of our planet has a lot more people on it and the need for building is very high, but getting everybody on that same train to design and deliver buildings that have all of those, let's just call it bells and whistles for now. Like, like, but very important bells and whistles, <laughs> right? Um, uh, like it has to happen at scale. And 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 so different from the car industry where those ideas do trickle down and then those things do get produced in huge numbers, huge quantities, right? Like thinking about just, I think Tesla, Tesla is delivering millions of cars per year. Let's just, I don't know if that number is <laughs> right or not, but you, you, you see what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of them, right? And they're all out there with however many cameras they have on those things, collecting information to inform the autonomous driving future that it seems imminent to me. And and buildings, it's not like that at all, right? It's it's like there's one building that has all those technologies in it and and people who are designing buildings aren't all on the same page about what the future of buildings are. There's a lot of people who are, but, but again, like the process takes so long and it's just like these... To me, they seem very different, these two industries. I don't know where I was going with that. I just just kind of like flow of the thoughts coming across my mind as you're talking about these, these uh, ideas. You know, the funny thing is, is that when you say that, when you talk about the ideas and then you talk about like the implementation and the delivery in the automotive industry and you compare it to the architectural industry where we're, you know, like flooding all of these ideas into a building. And it's just a one-off building and it's... I mean, concept cars are kind of a one-off, right? Like they don't, well, we don't concept get wise, to drive yeah. concept cars in the future. Like they just, all of those things never make it. So, so there is some analogy here. Well, I, well, so, so then, okay. So you had the concept cars, just like you had, you know, you've had concept houses. Like the, you know, think about like the Buckminster Fuller, the Diaxion. Dimaxion. Dimaxion. Thank you you know, house, which was supposed to be this prototype for future living. And though that particular house really didn't catch on ideas of that house did catch on. And, you know, there were, there were things that were implemented, but then you go back and you think about even further back though. And you think about the effect of like the industrial age, especially specifically about like the production line and things like that. You think about the craftsman houses and the craftsman houses weren't 
a style of house. They were delivered by Sears and Roebuck's, the craftsman series of homes that you basically could go out and you could buy a packaged home. They would deliver, you know, the plans or deliver the wood and everything else and all of that other stuff. And essentially you assembled these things on site. And so now fast forward to a similar concept where you have these concepts of like the the factory built homes. I'm I'm trying to find a better term than mm-hmm. or 3D printed homes even. <laughs> or or 3D printed homes. Well, I'm I'm more thinking about some of the homes that I worked on in the past where these were custom factory built homes, but they were just a modification of a housing type or a housing delivery type. It wasn't a change in the way that you lived. It was just the way that you bought it, the way that you built it, the way that you put it out on site and stuff like that. We're always talking about ways of like, you know, doing the carbon reduction and all of these other things. And, you know, look at, and, and now I'm going off on a different tangent here, but you know, you look at the way that you can do that and implement that through, you know, more production built home in production built buildings but then you also wonder it's just like really is that good for you you know the environment because here we're trying to like reduce carbon but we're still building you know houses what about all of the stock that's already out there i i know there's there's you think about the cities that do exist and the need to retrofit those to fit the new models and the new thinking is is huge and the owners don't have the money to do that necessarily i mean there's look at our own selves right and what we can do at our own houses it's it's one thing to call for action and do all that stuff but it's another thing to follow through with it and and get everybody on board so that kind of mass mindset shift is the most difficult part yeah exactly exactly because everybody wants new they want you know the latest the greatest and all of that other stuff i mean that's why we go through cars a dime a dozen i mean how many cars have you owned throughout your lifetime and how many cars have I owned throughout my lifetime? Talk about it. Exactly. You know, and, and you just think about it and just like, oh, <laughs> right. I've, I've been contributing to this issue. And it's this issue of like, if they were built to last, then why are we constantly keep buying, you know, new, 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 you know, it's just like, well, you know, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'm not sure if, if, because, because capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if us, you know, starting this conversation off about a, uh, the unique qualities of an Azuzu Via Cross were going to lead us to this direction, but <laughs> but here we are. But here we are. Uh, that that people might be wondering what the heck is a Pontiac Aztec. Uh, I, I'm sure there's some part of the audience who's never seen one. It's one of the ugliest cars ever actually put into production. I, I would venture there's there's a lot of ugly cars in production, but this is one I, of the most. I ugly. believe that it's in the top ten of ugliest yeah. vehicles and, and just. What oh. made it popular again was uh, Breaking Bad. That's what Walter White drove. So, in yeah, it was in Breaking Bad. And, and yes, I still contend, though, that as ugly as the vehicle was, there was a, there was a uniqueness to it. There was, you said in, it was ahead the, of its time. There, it, it was ahead of its time because, you know, if you think about it now, you know, it, it was this vehicle that came out and it was just like, you know, you're going to be able to live, you know, again, like the Via Cross or like, you know. Hashtag van life. You'll be able to like, it <laughs> was, it was, it was van life before van life existed. Yeah, I mean, before, life. like before it was very popular. And, right. and so, you know, it came with a tent and, you know, you could, you know, take it camping with you and. 
So, so what Cormac means when he says it came with a tent was okay. So this this was a sport utility vehicle. The, there was a rear hatch and a tailgate, so kind of like split horizontally in the middle. The tailgate folded down, the hatch folded up, and there was a tent that kind of it was like a half a tent, and it plugged into you built it off the back of the car to create shelter when those two pieces were open. And then you would sleep inside the car with like half car, half tent surrounding you. So it's not like the car came with a tent and you've set up the tent on the ground. No, like the rear half of the car became the tent. It was it was pretty interesting. And this is they shipped this like this was a real thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. I'll put a link to I'll find a photo of that. And put it well, in the there's notes. the I just found one. It's like, why? Uh, why the Pontiac Aztec was one of the worst American cars ever made. <laughs> you know and, and here's yet a, ahead of its time <laughs> but yet was ahead of its time i mean just like i mean i'm reading now like you know pontiac created the biggest failure in automotive history i'm like really i mean we did have the uh well there's lots there's lessons to be learned from the, failure for sure exactly i mean but you know yeah. there's like other failures like ansel and, and all of these other things but <laughs> people have short memories too just so yeah you know. they they right. do but again, right. though, it was just one of these things that, styling-wise, it was hideous. Sure, I mean, I'm, I that was a that was an early I, clickbait headline. That's what that sounds like to me. Yeah, but I mean, it was just weirdly one of those things that you know it just, and weirdly enough, now it has this kind of like cult follow following. Does it? Oh yeah, I, I don't see it, them. It, I I haven't. I can't tell you the last time I saw one on the road. I, I can, and it was probably about three weeks ago. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe maybe more so on the East Coast. And and I will also say that it was in Michigan. And, you know, you see, I have noticed now that I've been going back and forth to Michigan, you know, house hunting and things like that, that you see a lot more of cars. You're like, wow, I didn't even know, realize that those were still on the road. And is that like a Michigan thing, you think, it's because of the, the I mean, origin of the vehicles? I think so. I think, and, and the fact that just their able to like you know like they've got access to keeping the things alive and running and driving this is the best way of thinking about recycling is the fact that you're able to you know keep this a, a car ish type thing alive and running on the road sustainability sustainability right. there you go i mean come on, come on now <laughs> sustainability of the fossil fuel vehicles yeah, it's, a, it's a delicate subject Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. Systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures, but you struggle with choosing the systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by an acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, FAIA, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Teeger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. 
Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com slash masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com slash masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. And now let's get back to our conversation. Okay, so so let's switch topics. You you and I have been going down this kind of uh, on our own paths down this kind of nostalgic. You know, there's so many cool things from our past. Maybe this is the link of the episode. Is it like things from our past? But but I watched the uh, the Bones Brigade documentary, which is if anybody who doesn't know about the Bones Brigade, this is definitely dating me. And it's the it's uh, the skateboarding team from the 80s and 90s. And I mean, these people are still skateboarding today. This is Tony Hawk, Steve Caballero, Lance Mountain, Rodney Mullen, uh, Mike McGill. Yeah, these are all the the names. Uh, uh, Tony Guerrero, uh, and, and all led by Stacy Peralta, who kind of put this team together. And I was just, you know, I was watching this and I'm, I was texting you and some other friends of mine, friends of the show who were we all grew up at the same time we're all gen xers and we were all in skateboarding to some degree and various levels of success with that or failure and uh and and then yeah and yeah lots of shin shin diggers and not not very cool tricks um and then another documentary that i haven't watched yet but you have and and you wanted to kind of talk about some some of the ideas in this i think with is the tony hawk documentary that came out on hbo when maybe last year this year i'm not sure no it 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 literally just dropped like yeah just uh like a week ago okay so Um, brand new tony hawk documentary specific to to him but i'm sure it includes other other it was specific it was yeah skateboarding it was specific to him it did really have it had a lot of the uh the bones brigade you know talking about it because you really can't talk about tony hawk without you know talking about the bones brigade because yeah, I mean, that's context. where he came from these were the people who starting with stacy peralta who gave him his shot to kind of like hit the big stage and then once he was kind of you know he and not giving too much away from this but if you guys know the history of tony hawk i mean you know it was just this little short kid you know this little small kid really young gangly yeah i mean you know they called him weak and he he innovated because he was smaller, he was not as strong, and he wasn't as strong of a skater as a lot of like the Bones Brigade and other skaters that they were competing against at the time. And so he innovated by overcoming his deficiencies. And then, you know, as he started to get bigger, he, he actually became the tallest member of the Bones Brigade. And and then just got, you know, bigger and stronger and everything else that, you know, now we know the story that, you know, he is now like one obviously of the, the most successful skateboarders ever yeah one of yeah i mean definitely so when you think about skateboarding everybody you know thinks about tony hawk as that 
as that uh you know person and so so do you want to talk about that I'm, yeah. I'm interested to hear where you want to go with this because this is not going to be a review of the of the documentary right like that's not the idea here <laughs> no 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 so so where so what I wanted to kind of like talk about isn't necessarily about the documentaries, although I will suggest anybody who's even remotely interested in skateboarding or in a way where I'm going to be going with this is there was a, th- a constant theme with every single one of these documentaries. So, you know, you had reached out and you said, you know, Hey, if you've seen, I was just, um, you know, watching the Bones Brigade um, documentary. And then of course, you know, I went on and I watched it. It's and on YouTube course, for free. Yeah. yeah. And then I went, I fell down this rabbit hole of, of, you know, watching a bunch of other ones, you know, just, and it was almost like rekindling memories of my past. And it was, you know, just amazing to kind of like start thinking about, you know, not just thinking about, cause of course, you know, when you do that, you know, and you have these documentaries about these people who were basically our contemporaries in their, our age, you know, they, they grew up in, you know, we, we read about them in like Thrasher or Skateboarder and all these other things and stuff. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're familiar with them, but they're also linked to your past, you know, with the music and everything else and, and stuff like mm. that. Culture. Yeah. You know, the, the culture, like the dress, you're just like, wow, did we really dress like that? You know, and all of these other things. But the one thing that was kind of a constant in all of these was that whatever you think about like skateboarding as like a bunch of like miscreants or, you know, like you know, rebels or counterculture, any culture, whatever you want to call them. The thing that stand out stood out the most to me on all of these guys, you know, specifically um, Tony Hawk and Rodney Mullen, are the dedication to the craft that they brought, because they tried and failed and tried and succeeded, you know, so many different times and just dedicated their life to the craft, dedicated their life to becoming the best, innovating. I mean almost every trick that you can think of in both street skating and invert skating came from either Tony Hawk or from Rodney Mullen or the cross population of each of them doing tricks. They were really good friends and both on the bones brigade. And, you know, I was thinking about like, you know, here, here's people who are spending like eight, 10 hours a day on a board, you know, either like, you know, flipping up in the air on, a vert ramp or like just like slamming themselves up against like walls or falling in you know on concrete curbs you know trying to do like kick flips and all of this other stuff and just doing all of these different things and but they innovated their their niche in society their craft their like what they make money off of they innovated by constantly practicing constantly changing constantly evolving and I was thinking about that in, as how do we do that in architecture? I mean, what what do we do to... to? I, I'm laughing because this is, to me, it's leading to the Cyark Basecamp video. <laughs> it, and it, you know, and, it's, and in a way it's... Because I know you're not going that direction. I, I was not going that direction, but I'm now thinking to myself, oh, you know, they like eat, slept, and breathed yes. skateboarding. Yeah, but it, it became know. dogma, right? For the, yeah, for yeah. for the the architects, not the, the skateboarders. I I definitely don't see. I don't get that vibe from the skateboarders at I all. I don't. I don't get just that to be because clear. yeah, because here's the thing though is that, that you know I mean this was this was a way to feel like they belonged. This was a way 
like when I hung out with, you know, all of my buddies in the eighties and stuff like this, we were, you know, we were all the outcasts of, of our neighborhood or whatever else. I mean, we didn't really belong. I mean, you know, we, we sort of like fit in, you know, when we tried to like, you know, we went out and played baseball or, you know, I was like big into like little league baseball and, and all of this other stuff, but I never really felt like I belonged. And so like, you know, the crowd of like, just like oddballs was more my crowd. And, and so it, it was, it was more of just a way of, it was, it was like a big social club really than anything else. Whereas in architecture, it's more of a job, but in a way, you know, we do, you know, there are things about architecture that define us, um, in our, in our life. And, and I was just wondering though, is like, how do, how do we do, you know, like, how do we like, you know, develop our craft? And I know that we've talked a lot about, you know, sometimes we don't, we, we basically kind of like, kind of like copy and paste and keep repeating things over and over again. And just sort of like incrementally evolve, you know, you, you, you say it all the time, you know, far better than I do that things that architects hate is change and the way things are and the way things are. Right. And so, you know, we, we stagnate ourselves. And I was just wondering, it's like, you know, you know, we've, we've let ourselves go down this path where we don't innovate. And so going back to the conversation that we were talking about with cars and the innovations of, you know, cars and all of that other stuff is how do we get to the point where we're not sacrificing our life to, you know, just develop architecture, but how do we like really try to, you know, get our architecture to a point where it's, it's really reflecting innovation. It's really reflecting forward thinking more than it is just, you know, kind of just like sitting still. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be stylistic. And I think you, especially in your other podcast, Troxel, where you're talking to tech innovators in the field of, you know, design and construction. And so it's sort of dawned on me that what we're not taking advantage of when we start to innovate the tech side of things, innovate the, let's just say the documentation or the, that, that part of the process that we're not taking an advantage of, okay, now we've relieved ourselves of a lot of things that we would normally otherwise have to do and spend countless hundreds of hours on like code research or egress to, you know, related things or documentation of things that, you know, when we're or, or modeling and all of these other things. And, and so looking at all of that as a process of being able to kind of like, you know, almost free ourselves up from a lot of what we call the drudgery of, of kind of like a project isn't necessarily, I don't know if we're capitalizing on the opportunities it's affording us for the design and innovation part. Mm. Am, am, am I wrong in that kind of like no, thinking? I, well, man, there's just so many things flying through my head right now. Cause I, I think about how, you know, you, you're pointing at a particularly small group of innovators in skateboarding. And I wasn't one of those for sure. And I think we have the same thing in architecture, right? There's a, a small group looking at the total population of architects. And, and so you start thinking about how many capital A architects are out there thinking about the, the ones who like, for example, right. We've talked about on this show, Billy Chen, Todd Williams, right. Talked about um, Thomas Pfeiffer, right? 
um, Glenstone Museum. Um, there's so there are examples, and and that is a, again a small population. And there's so there's this spectrum, right? There's a spectrum of talent slash innovation uh, versus, and I, I I say versus. I don't know the versus or versus the right word, but then there's there's the business side of the business, right? Um, and there's incent people are incentivized by different things. People are care about different things. Um, I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday who's a, a designer in a firm and and there was a, a design review and he was talking about how there was some projects that were presented and it's just like, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because they're that bad. And it's, <laughs> and it's like, I, I, I imagine this is lots of firms. Like it's not just one firm, right? It's, it's design is not a culture at so many firms. Innovation is not a culture at so many firms. Um, and so I think it is hard to see examples of those things in everyday life unless you specifically are looking for them. And we tend to see them done by the same kind of people over and over again, because that's the culture and the life that they live by, which is very different. Like I was listening to a, an interview recently with Rick Rubin, who is a music producer, and he was talking about how he goes to every single project with a com- is open a mind. I, he says a completely open mind. Like, I, I don't know how that's possible. Right. But, but for him, I, I have to take him at his word. And he says like, I'm not there to influence it in any particular way. I want to find out whatever is the best way for us to make this art right now. I'm not interested in doing it the way that I've done it before. I'm not interested in forcing any kind of methodology onto the artists themselves. Like we are there to he didn't say the word collaborate, but like, you know, it, it's like you're bringing the different ingredients to make the best outcome possible. And what's interesting about that is like, I feel like there are parallels to the architectural design process with that. And yet we, we have to stop at some point, right? You ha- and, and you don't even just get to stop once it's done. You have to like be done even before maybe even that design process is figured out. Yeah. So, so what's interesting about that that example is kind of going back to what I was saying about all of the things that facilitate us to get the end product done. He's Ruben's bringing his kind of like his expertise of producing, you know, mixing, you know, editing and all of that other stuff with, you know, his staff to it so that he can let the creatives create. And so they don't have to think about all of the other stuff that goes into like producing and putting out the artwork stuff you know, that they don't have expertise in. Right. Exactly. He's, he's allowing them to just create, just, you know, be the artist that they feel like they are or feel like they could be. And he's facilitating them on that creative process and taking all of the other stuff out of the way so that they can just worry about this stuff and potentially push them to a place that they've never been before. It's about capturing that kind of raw spirit, emotion, soul in 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 a moment, or and and then it's just then then it's there, then it's done, right? Then you move on. <laughs> it's captured exactly, and that to me is, I mean, there is a parallel to architecture there, right? Like it, there are people who specialize in these different things, and I think a lot of times, though, it's like 
somebody else wants to tell me how to do it. Somebody, a project manager who understands the, let's just say the schedule or the, the budget or whatever wants to tell me how to design. And, and, and so that, and then you, you start to get into these, what I'm talking about where it's like, this is a, it's kind of a mess because it is such a team sport. Yeah. We get in our own way because we still have the belief that everybody's a designer and that everybody should have a say and input on this. It's just like, I want you to feel a part of this. And, 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 and in a way, yeah, we, you know, we, we obviously want to have, you know, that. It sounded but, so crass right there. Cause I think about that top, the Frank Gary, where he's just holding up the middle finger, right? Don't tell me how to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, and the thing though, is that I've met so many people who they're like, well, you know, like that, that's your niche in the business. And, and I don't want to, you know, like, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And so you say, okay, well then you develop that you become strong at that, whether it's project management, you know, scheduling, you know, adhering to budgets, constructability, putting together document sets and stuff. If if that's like your thing and that you don't really want to get into like the design side of things, then help facilitate the design, help facilitate the innovation. I totally agree with that. I mean, like, because I, I do have kind of uh, divergent views at the same time of expertise versus generalization. Like I see value in both. And that's very much how I'm wired. Like I, I like to get good enough at a lot of things to understand the language of them all so that I can start to connect the dots between them. But I also see the value. So I'm very much a, a generalist myself. But the, the I see the value in expertise in somebody being able to live in the zone of their thing and add that value right when it's needed on everything they touch. And not even to say that that necessarily happens on a schedule. Like, so that's where things get a little weird with creativity, right? Is because it doesn't happen. Like Rick Rubin says, it doesn't happen on the quarterly basis, right? This is, and so, and so when you think about how everybody can play their part. Like, like, okay. So the best example I have of what you just said is when is a, f- a friend of mine, Alvin Huang, he's been on my other podcast and he's, he's lectured in my, my class at Cal Poly in the past. And he's an architect. He teaches at USC and he does a lot of conceptual design work. He's definitely on the capital A architecture side of things. And he has a quote from a structural engineer that he worked with. And it was like the, the architect's, I want to work with are the ones who bring me the most interesting ideas. And, and they're not interested in just solving the same problems all the time. Like there's other people on staff for that, right? Because that's what they're really good at. And so you start to think about this as a puzzle and, and how the pieces work in concert together and aren't competing or telling the other one how to do their thing. Of course they should be talking about, facilitating a process that is cohesive and smooth right it's not you don't want to disrupt all the other pieces because then the puzzle just blows up but when you think about the other members of the team and the value they can bring like if you're talking about a technical architect solving like waterproofing problems on a on a facade like they want to solve interesting waterproofing problems i would hope that they would that that's the kind of senior project architect i want to work with is somebody who's like sweet challenge man let's do this right (laughs) rather than rolling their eyes oh my god they did this thing oh i'm so sick of this kind of you know and and so 
we, we see all of that, right? We see all of that in the profession. And, and I think it is interesting to see how many people are just kind of suffering through it um, because they just want to do, do the same thing, rote every day. And like, actually, that's what automation and robots are going to be for, is that kind of stuff. Like, we want the people who are interested in solving interesting problems all the time because that's where the value of architecture lies for society. Well, well, but see, that's the big lie that education sometimes tells, which is, as a generalist, you should and could and probably need to do it all. You know, you should do it all. So well, that we're all trained to be self-sufficient, as we said on a re- Yeah, you need to do it, all of the, the pieces of the puzzle. And it's not to say that people who are generalists that do it all. I mean, we've got tons of massively talented generalists, friends that do great work, but you know, they do. And and here's where I start to alienate uh, myself and people and everyone else is that they do bite-sized projects that they can actually like, you know, really kind of control everything. And it's a little bit more palatable to them. It's, it's more manageable. Well, and because they have to, they can't afford to hire all the staff. Yeah. I mean, like I I totally get it. Like, (laughs) so, so whereas like, you know, the projects, like, let's just say the project that I'm working on right now, it's, it's eight massive buildings, you know, uh, it's in a foreign country. It's, it's, I can't do everything on that project. I mean, no matter how much somebody else wants you to, (laughs) there's not, there's not exactly not enough hours in the world for, you know, being able to do that and everything else, you know, and it just doesn't make sense. And so to then start to say, okay, now my, my role is more compartmentalized. So here I am, you know, as a facilitator, as the project, you know, as a project manager, you know, facilitating other people to be able to do their job and make sure that everything is kind of in a line and make sure that, you know, we can get the project done. It's properly staffed, blah, 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 all of this other stuff. Right. And so that's sort of like, so I realized the role that I have isn't like, Ooh, you know, you're going to be designing. Ooh, you're going to be detailing. Ooh, you're going to be doing this. No, you know, no, I won't. Um, and so, you you actually have the agency to say that many right. people do not but you know in in the yeah, ends and, and so when you're able to that that's where i guess where where i was going is like you know being able to kind of like recognize facilitators to be able to innovate well that's this is the job of a leader right is to put together the best team for the the thing at hand and and enabling every one of those parts of you know this machine or this this team to do their thing, to be the best that they can be doing it in the time that they have to do it. But again, though, that also helps with the, it, it helps with architecture being able to innovate more. And that's the one thing that we've been very lax in being able to do is because we, we, we basically kind of like, okay, here's like, we can evolve this or we can evolve that or, you know, Hey, this is, you know, I I've done this a hundred times. I know that it's like right there and all this other stuff. So we, we leave some of the innovation part behind. So then, and don't confuse innovation for how it looks or feels or, you know, exactly. It's the whole process and it's all the pieces of the process. Yes. Yes. And, and that, and, and yeah, thank you for making that distinction because I don't mean innovation on aesthetics. I mean, innovation, I mean, we could have like the same kind of like aesthetics as like a turn of the century, you know, 19th to 20th century. Because that could be the most appropriate 
exactly for the, for the project. But being able to use you know cutting edge materials that help reduce your your carbon footprint and all of these other things, you know, these are the type of innovations. It's like people are going to have their stylistic opinions about everything, and if you take that part out of the conversation of innovation and really look at like you know okay how do we you know evolve architecture in the built environment or let's just say how do we evolve the built environment let's let's take architecture out of this because again you know that's one of those subjective uh terminology things but so anyway so I, i think you know where i'm going with this i don't know if i'm being clear enough on like you know like this this kind of like drive or desire to like help alleviate the let's just call it the drudgery of things to like really like focus on innovation and evolving us. Because I mean, that's the thing that kind of like struck me with all of these is like, they weren't reinventing the wheel. You know, some people were reinventing the wheels when, you know, as these skateboarders were, you know, they were innovating the products, they were innovating the, the styles, they were innovating the, just the, the appearance of skateboarding. Now, like, suburban families are buying their kids skateboards and pads and all this other stuff and sending them off to like the skate park and all of this other stuff. That was not the case when we were growing up. The appearance of skateboarding back in the late eighties or late seventies, early mid eighties and all of that other stuff. When we were out like cruising the streets and stuff is where we were just, you know, a bunch of hoodlums. And, and now it's like mainstream. It's interesting to think about it from a, you, you said earlier, like copy paste and things like that. I, I'm just thinking of innovation in skateboarding was copy paste, right? It was like, it was doing what humans do best. It was taking something someone else did and building upon it. A lot of times seeing somebody do something would unlock that it was even possible. And then all of a sudden, lots of people could do it. And then there would be a one other person who would then take that and do something else with it. The one, I can't remember the guy's name, the one guy invents the Ollie on on a half pipe. And then Rodney Mullen adapts it to the street and everything changes. But but Rodney Mullen did not invent the Ollie. He uh, he copied and pasted and innovated slightly to make this whole new language for street skateboarding. And what's interesting is we copy and paste and we we automate and we try to save time and do all these things in architecture too and and there are innovations that happen but i think what's different here just off the cuff this is just an ongoing conversation so it's not like this is a thesis for some doctoral thing right i'm not i don't have it all prepared out like you like I, you said i hope you can see where i'm going with this this is how the conversation works right like we're, we're, we're vetting it as we go and hopefully we'll get feedback even is i'm just thinking like Skateboarding was on display. Skateboarding was in the magazines. Like we have magazines, we have architectural magazines of the final product. We don't have magazines of the process. And so skateboarding with a bunch of friends is like the process in real time, just like working on a project with a with a team is the process in real time. How do we convey the innovations no matter how small they are, no matter what piece of the puzzle they're attributed to so that the whole industry becomes mainstream in the future to your skateboarding analogy a minute ago right which is back then it was done like this and it was like 
it wasn't mainstream. It was counterculture. It was punk rock, right? It was, it was for a small segment and now it's everywhere. It's like architecture is like that to me and we can't get out of our own way because if we innovate on a process, on a piece of the puzzle in our own firm, we tend to keep it there and not share it and not put it on display. There are definitely people who do that. And I think they're mostly on the technology side of the practice and they are very engaged on social media and on YouTube and they are sharing these things. Those things are out there, but they're not mainstream, like adopted and elevating the whole profession together. It's super piecemeal. So I I don't know how we do that. I mean, that, that to me is like kind of why we do this, what we do, right. Which is to expose this kind of thinking, expose these kind of ideas, expose interesting ways in which people are doing that and talking about it. But, um, overall that it's not a a culture that our industry has so i it it is kind of interesting to look at another model (laughs) and the success and was that success guaranteed no way right it was never guaranteed skateboarding has died multiple deaths along the way and somehow re-emerged and gotten even stronger to the point at, at which now it's it's this global industry probably makes more money than architecture, right? Thinking thinking of it that way is kind of kind of interesting and scary and sad. Um, but but thinking about how they've done that, and because there were people like Tony Hawk who are willing to just continue to take the beating. I mean, there's architects like that too. I, and what we do matters for society. Um, it's it is, and with the need for whatever the number is, it's like we got to build a city the size of New York every year for the next 33 years or every three months it's like insane right uh that the amount of built environment that needs to be produced by 2050 is like it's incredible um and and how are we going to do that when we can't even like move together you know it's it's i can't even believe buildings get built (laughs) although i will say this that you know one of the things that looking at the the first i don't know um two minutes of or five minutes of the Tony Hawk documentary. It's basically showing him in his warehouse on his ramp and every single trick ended in him on his ass. And, and the thing was, is that he kept getting back up and trying it again and trying something different and trying that just like, you know, when he like hit the 900, you know I mean? It took him 10 years it took him 10 years to do that. But, but, wait. True. Getting up, getting up. And then it was like way over time for best trick contest. Oh, I yeah, watched yeah. that live. It was <clears throat> in, insane. Yeah. It was like the so, cameras are not going to shut off until, because, in, and everybody around him's like, he got up again. He's going to, he's still going to try. Like he, he didn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 cool. so here, but, but here's what was, Here's, here's, I think, where I was originally going with that, that I probably didn't make the connection with until we had this conversation. So, is, is that the way that they just throw themselves out there, you know, commit to an idea. I mean, we start off our designs with, you know, committed to this initial idea, and then we try it, and we try it, and we try it, and we try it. 
and it may not be successful on all of the different iterations throughout concept design that then when we finally hit it, we're like, yeah, we just hit our, our 900 on this. And, and so then they just, you know, continue to evolve it. And then we, you know, continue to evolve it. And so there is this kind of like parallel to like the commitment of something, you know, and it really is just this, you know, trying to like keep testing it until it works, keep testing it until you can finally land it. And, and we do that often and we do that like on every project. And if we don't do that, then that's usually when the project is you know, kind of deemed a Pontiac Aztec of architecture. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what, that's what this podcast is about. Like you were just saying how Damn. you did, you didn't even know where you're going. until we had to, I, like, that's how it, that's, these are the kinds of conversations that need to be. And, and this episode is a perfect example of a bunch of failures to a pretty good landing at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So let's leave it at that. Until next time. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com slash masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.